word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. This is on page 811 in the Bibles that were standing on the seats when you came in. Please take one of those Bibles if you need them. That's why they are there. I'll end the reading by saying, this is the word of the Lord. And you'll respond, thanks be to God. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 25 and we're going to go to the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Dad, if we're honest, we hesitate to wholeheartedly commit to your kingdom, its ways, and the treasure to be had there because we're afraid of going without, revealing we fear losing control, or really, we fear giving you control. We confess we're anxious because we're faithless. We reduce life to what we put in our mouths and over our skin when it is so much more than that. Give us ears to hear the birds and the flowers speaking to us of how dependent we are on you and of your tender care. Help us to demonstrate to a watching world the confidence your children have because of your love for them. Help our unbelief so we can serve you with abandon, putting our hand to the plow and not looking back. In the name of Jesus, who upholds all things by the word of his power, amen. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing today? My name is Kyle. If you're a guest with us, welcome to Living Stones. Living Stones is a church that loves to go through the Bible, and um, that's what first attracted me to Living Stones, and that's why I love being a member and pastor at Living Stones. So we're in Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible open, open it up. Uh, We set Bibles around the room. That's on page 811, like we just read for the reading. Um, Today, we are talking about anxiety, and worry, and stress. And I've had a terrible, stressful, anxious, worry-filled week. It's been awful. 
And um, I've been overloaded. I've been feeling just the pressures of ministry, the pressures of family, the pressures of relationships within ministry, people falling away, people falling apart. Um, what are we decisions we need to make for this coming up year? And it's just been all like weighing on me really heavy this week. And then on Wednesday, I was talking about it with Pastor Gavin, whom used to be a pastor here. We sent out to Livingstone's Carson. And he's like, Kyle, you're preaching on worry this weekend. No wonder you're going through worry. And I think it's been very kind um, in a way of Jesus to have me face my own anxieties before I talk about them today. And so today, uh, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' famous sermon that he gave in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He's on a mountain, that's why it's called Sermon on the Mount, and it addresses how his people are supposed to live in a fallen world. And the reality is, is that Jesus calls his people to live beautifully. That's why we're calling this series A Beautiful Way. And today, he tells us how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to deal with our internal and emotional anxieties and worries. Now, how many of you in here don't be scared, would uh, say that you are an anxious or worried-filled person, that you ha- worry is like a thing that you struggle with. Okay, I guess less people worry at the, the 11 than the 9, because at the 9, everybody, that's probably why they showed up at the 9. You guys are all laid back, <laughs> sleeping in. Here we have about half the room, okay? But that's probably, you know, the other half was probably too worried to raise their hand about worry. So the reality is, is that worry is a thing that we face every day. And if you're a human, you will face worry. You will face stress. Now, some of us, because of our biology and physiology and because of our family of origin and situations that we've gone through, some of us, that's a burden that we carry uh, in a greater way than others. But every one of us will face this. And what is helpful to note is that in this passage on anxiety and worry, Jesus is not talking about all types of anxiety. He's talking specifically about anxiety and worry that's based on God's provision, about God's care for us and our well-being, about our life. He says, do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat, wear, or drink. And so that's just important to notice because um, there's another type of worry, which the Bible addresses in some other places, which is a worry that's rooted um, in anxiety disorders, which is a product of living in a broken world. But even so... What Jesus has to say about this provisional anxiety and this provisional worry can be applied to all types of worry. And as I've been stressed out all week, you can ask my staff and you can ask my wife, uh, there's been one phrase that Jesus says in here that keeps on just sticking out to me. Look at the birds. Look at the birds. If he cares for them, he'll care for you. And that's my big idea for today, okay? It's very simple. If you just walk out of here thinking one thing, just think, look at the birds. If he cares for them, he'll care for you. We're going to look at worry from three angles. First of all, the existence of worry. Second of all, the reasons why we shouldn't worry. And third, how you can overcome your worry. So if you have a habit of falling asleep in sermons, you can wake up at the end. The end is very important, how to overcome your worry, okay? So first of all, Jesus tells us that worry exists. Look at verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, or worried about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, and, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? He says, don't be worried about your life. Why does he have to say this? Because he knows we're going to be worried about our lives. 
In fact, in these paragraphs, in these verses, that we're, this, this paragraph that we're reading, he mentions worry and anxiety five times because he knows how much of a human reality and struggle worry and anxiety is. Now, where does it come from? All anxiety and all worry is rooted in a fundamental human need of security. Now, it hasn't always existed in this world. Because when God first created the world, he put, us, he put the first humans, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. You can read about this in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And in that garden, they had everything that they needed. They had perfect safety. They had provision. They, it was perfect paradise. They were naked and unashamed. That sounds like a pretty good day to me. And they had each other. They had love. They had perfect relationship with God. They had perfect relationship with each other. There was no evil. There was no brokenness. There was no fear. There was no worry. Worry entered when Adam and Eve chose to sin against God. God gave them one command to obey. He gave them something that he didn't want them to do. He told them that they couldn't eat of a fruit of a particular tree. And instead, they chose to take their lives into their own hands and do what they thought that they should do instead of what God thought that they should do, which is basically that's what sin is whenever you live life on your own terms. And they sinned against God. And then when they sinned against God, three fundamental and primary human emotions entered into the world. Guilt, fear, and shame. Or you could say guilt, worry, and shame. So the first thing that they did after they sinned against God is they realized that they were wrong. And what did they try to do? They covered with fig leaves. They tried to cover their nakedness. What emotion is that? Shame. They're trying to cover their shame. And then they heard that God was coming and they were afraid. They were worried, and so they hid from God because they were worried. They were scared. And then when God said, did you do this to Adam? What did Adam say? The woman you gave me made me do it. And then what did she say? The devil made me do it. They blame shifted, which is their strategy to deal with their guilt. And what I'm trying to get at here is that worry is a product of human sin entering into the world. And because human sin entered into the world, at that moment, the whole of humanity was fractured. And now the world is a scary place, a dangerous place, uh, an unsafe place, a place where bad things can happen. And therefore, worry exists. Worry exists. Now, not all worry is sinful worry. For example, if you're worried about safety, that might be a good worry. Might be you're driving on the highway and you're going down I-80 and all of a sudden you see a car get on the, the highway going the wrong direction, coming straight at you, it is good to have worry so you can pull off to the side and you don't die, right? That's a good kind of worry. Um, another kind of worry that I think is good regarding safety is I heard of uh, some students that we know of uh, this week, they, they just said that they sometimes are worried for their own safety going home because they don't know which dad they're going to be coming home to or which mom they're going to be coming home to. So they have worry. And they have to literally strategize as they get ready to walk into their house how they're going to protect themselves and their sibling. That's not sin on their part. You guys understand? That's a product of living in a very broken and twisted world. Um, so not all worries, simple worry. Another type of worry that's not bad that we see in the Bible is worry for loved ones. 
the Apostle Paul, when he plants churches, so this was a guy who would go around and he would start different churches, and then he would move on to start more churches in other cities. But he loved those people that he started churches uh, with. And so he writes in 2 Corinthians 11 that he has this constant anxiety, the same word that Jesus has used here, uh, over the well-being of those churches because he really cares. You ever find yourself caring about somebody and their well-being? You might be a husband or a wife, and you know that they have a tough meeting at work, and you're, like, worried for them because you love them. Uh, you may be, you know, in the past three weeks, I've had several parents come up to me because they're empty nesters now, and they've sent their kids off to college, and they're on their own, and they're worried sick about the well-being of their kids, and so they've come forward and asked for prayer. That's not worry that's rooted in sin. It's worry that's rooted in love. Even Jesus himself has a worry that's rooted in love because on the night before he was crucified, which was a Thursday night, uh, on that Thursday night, Jesus was praying in the garden and he knew that he was going to have to die for the sins of humanity. And at that point, all the wrath of God would be poured upon him. And for that moment, as he's hanging there on the cross, he would be forsaken by God, his father. And because he loved his father in heaven, that worried him to the point where that he had so much stress that he sweat drops of blood, which is a physiological response to great stress. He was worried. So when does worry become sinful? Well, this passage tells us that worry becomes sinful in three ways. Number one, when we worry about the wrong things. Glance ahead at verse 24, or behind at verse 24. If you're new to the Bible, by the way, the chapters are the large numbers, the verses are the little ones. Verse 24, it says this, No one can serve two masters, for he... For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus is saying that if you want to be a part of God's kingdom, he's got to be your master. You can't have God as your master and money as your master. It's one or the other. Either God is your master and nothing else is your master, or if you try to split up, that just means that Money and possessions are your master, and you really don't have God as your master. And the reason I bring that up is because then Jesus says in verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. So what he's getting at is this. A lot of people's anxiety is rooted in the fact simply that they've made created things God things. You're worried about the wrong things. Um, you've made created things God things. You're so worried about... Uh, how you look, your clothes, you're worried about your, your home, what, what your house is, what kind of car you're driving, what kind of money you're making, how people are perceiving you, what kind of pictures you can take and put on Pinterest and Facebook so that you can look like you have everything together. You're worried about the wrong things. And because of that, you have a lot of worry. That's a sinful kind of worry because you're worried about the wrong things. Another type of worry that's a sinful worry is when you're worried that God won't provide. When you, when you have worry over the fact that God won't provide. So if you look down to verse 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither see, see, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to their span of life? And so Jesus says, Look at the birds. Look at the birds. If he cares for them, he'll care for you. So whenever you're needs for God to provide start to get greater than your faith that God will provide, the worry that you have at that moment is sinful worry. The worry that you have at that moment is sinful worry because you really don't believe that God will provide. 
And the last type of worry that is sinful worry is perpetual and excessive worry. So if you look at verse 34, Jesus says, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, don't have worry that's excessive and perpetual and ongoing. And so you might say, I'm just a mother. I just care for my children. I'm worrying all the time for them. If you're never handing that to God and it becomes perpetual and excessive, then it becomes sinful. Worry becomes sinful when we try to bear it on our shoulders instead of giving it to his shoulders. Does that make sense? Now, I think it's helpful to understand that worry is not only a choice. It's also a power. It's very important. When the Bible in the New Testament specifically talks about sin, a lot of times it talks about it as a power. We as Westerners try to talk about sin always as a choice. But the Bible says it's bigger than that. It's a power. For example, I've never heard anybody, ever, I've never heard anybody say, today, I'm going to be worried. I'm going to choose to be anxious. I'm going to choose to be frenetic. I'm going to choose to be compulsive. I'm going to choose to stress other people out because I love being worried. Like, that's never been a thing that anybody has ever said. Worry is a power within us that arises when we begin to feel insecure, right? It's a power, and that's important. Because if you only regard it as a choice, you'll think it's on your shoulders to deliver yourself. But if you regard it as a power, you know you need to deliver bigger than yourself, is Jesus Christ. And so it needs, what what Jesus is calling to attention is, look, anxiety exists. He just calls it out. It will happen. It does exist. And you need to face it, not ignore it. You need to face it, not ignore it. Now, I think there's two ways to ignore anxiety. One is to succumb to it, and the other is to suppress it. You see, worry and anxiety are like an evil intruder. And if you succumb to it, it's like saying to the evil intruder into your home, like, welcome, have your way with me, have your way with anything you want in the house, you can run my life. But that's to ignore how destructive and powerful worry really is. And some of you are like that. Worry comes along, and you just let it run your life. And you probably don't notice it. That's why you need to ask your friends and family and they'll tell you (laughs) because they can feel it. The other way to ignore worry is to suppress it. And this would be to say to the evil intruder, like if your kids come in and say, there's an evil intruder in your house, you just say, no, there's not. There's no problem here. We're fine. And, And a lot of us do that with worry. Anxiety rises up and we just push it down. We're fine. There's no problem here. I'm tough. Got to charge forward. Let's move forward. This is how I deal with things. Let's charge the hill. There's stuff to be done. There ain't no time to sit here and freak out. We got to move forward. And what happens is when the the more you ignore that and the more you push it down, eventually what you don't own will own you and you'll have a nervous breakdown. This is what happens to a lot of CEOs, leaders of large organizations and pastors, is they have a lot of stress and a lot of worry and they push it down and push it down and push it down and then eventually they have a mental breakdown or they do something really, really stupid. And it's rooted because they didn't face their worry. So Jesus is saying to us, hey, look, it's there. So face it. And not even, he doesn't just say face it alone. He says, let's face it together. Let's face it together. We have a good Lord. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, he reminds us some, some reasons why we should not worry. And he gives us four reasons, which he highlights by rhetorical questions. You guys know what a rhetorical question is? A rhetorical question is 
when you ask a question in which the answer should be obvious. So I always say to my kids when they say, uh, you know, do you want me to clean in my room? I say, does a giraffe have a long neck? Yes, clean your room. <laughs> you know, does a dog bark? Yes. Those are rhetorical questions. The answer to that is obvious. And so Jesus gives us four rhetorical questions. But before we jump into that, what I want you to notice is when he starts to address our worry, he doesn't give us a strategy for life management. Like Jesus isn't, didn't come to be your life coach. He came to be your Lord and your Savior. Hallelujah. When we say hallelujah, that just means praise the Lord. He came to be your Lord and your Savior. So he didn't come to like say, let's work on your time management skills. That'll really, I got some great ways to plan out your week. Block schedule. Have you ever heard of that? No, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, uh, let's focus on the positive. You know, dig deep, find the light within. You need to think positively. He doesn't say, I got a few breathing exercises for you. Let's, you know, let's sit here, cross your legs. Let's do these breathing exercises. He's not saying, you know what your problem is? You need more exercise. Let's join this fitness program. Okay, now, I'm a fan of all of those things. And they're all helpful. But none of them are potent enough to get rid of the worry that takes over our hearts. Okay? So sometimes we need to do those things, but they're only tools to get us to faith in Christ. So Jesus doesn't give us life management skills. He calls us to a posture of faith, and he does it with four rhetorical questions. Okay, so first rhetorical question is in verse 25. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, Jesus is saying, remember, life's more than food and clothing. Life's more than immediate pleasures. When you make life about what it's not about, worry starts to control your life. When you make life about your clothes, your fashion, your vehicles, keeping up with the Joneses, whatever it may be, you become a miserable and worried person. And Jesus is like, remember, there's more to life than food and clothing. The rich man who has a closet full of clothes and the poor man who has one change of clothes they go to heaven the same way, naked. It's more than food and clothing. When you are on your deathbed, you are not going to have the people around you. And you're not going to say to them, look at all the stuff I have. You're, on your deathbed, that's not what you're going to be worried about. What you're going to be worried about on your deathbed is your relationship with God and your relationship with people. So why are you making life about other things if that's not what life is really about? On your deathbed, you're not going to be pointing to all your travels. You're not going to be pointing to your RVs and your toys. and all the, You're going to be worried about your relationship with God and your relationship with people. And that's what life is about. So Jesus says, is not life more than food and clothing and stuff? It is. It totally is. So if it is, then why are we making life about something that it's not? The second thing we need to remember is with the next rhetorical question in verse 25. Jesus says, he says, look at the birds. My favorite line in there. Look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you are not, 
Are you not of more value than they? So that's the rhetorical question. Are you not of more value than the birds? So he says, take a good look at the birds. When he says look, it's a word that specifically means look intently. Study the birds. You need to become bird watchers, everybody. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to be a bird watcher. Look at the birds. Study them. He says, look, look at them. They, I like, I tell, we talk about this with my kids in the Jesus Storybook Bible. There's a part that says, you never see a bird pushing around a shopping cart. <laughs> birds don't have refrigerators. Birds don't have uh, storage units. Birds don't have grocery stores because they know that God provides for them every day. They know that God provides for them every day. And Jesus uses a, a, a least to greatest argument, a lesser to greater argument. He says, if God cares for these birds, are you not more valuable than birds? The answer to that question is yes, you are more valuable than birds. You are. You are more valuable than birds. You are made in the image of God. God does not call birds his children. He calls you his child. So therefore, if God cares for something that's lesser than you, will he not also care for you who is his child? Now look at me. Some of us have chronic worry because we don't really believe that we are God's child. And the good news of the gospel is that God came to adopt you as his children. He wants you. You know, your earthly parents may not have wanted you, but God has always wanted you. You're not a mistake. Before the foundation of the world, he has planned to be your father in Christ Jesus. He's calling you to himself. If he cares for these birds, he's definitely going to care for you. The least, the greatest argument. You're more valuable than birds. If he cares for them, he'll care for you. Now, the third thing Jesus says is, is with the next rhetorical question. And he says in verse 28, why are you anxious about your clothing? Or excuse me, I read the wrong one. Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single span to your life? So here's what he's trying, to, he's trying to say. Remember this. Being anxious doesn't help you. It actually kills you. Right? Like, does being anxious ever help a situation? Does it ever add any life to you? We know from science it does not. It actually takes away from our life. The more anxious you are, the more prone to sickness you are. Uh, anxiety causes all sorts of illnesses. And so Jesus just, here we have scientist Jesus, okay? Jesus, the science guy, telling us that if you continue to live in your anxiety, it will kill you. So stop. You don't need to do that. It doesn't add anything to your life. And then the last thing he reminds us is with the last question, now starting in verse 28, it says, when you're anxious, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? If he clothes the flowers, will he not also clothe you? That's a rhetorical question. The flowers. He says, now he says, instead of looking at the birds, he says, look at the flowers. The lilies of the spring flowers, they're beautiful. Take a close look at them. You ever taken a close look at a flower? 
everybody look you they think you're like a weirdo because it's 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 mesmerizing. They're so beautiful and intricately designed. And if we just took the time to study them, we would be amazed. And Jesus says that Solomon in all of his glory was never clothed like one of these flowers. Now Solomon was one of the richest, he was the richest guy to ever live on the face of the earth. He's a king in the Old Testament. Um, uh, history has his net worth at over $2 trillion. And he was known as having extreme fashion. And Jesus is basically saying here, Solomon ain't, Solomon ain't got nothing on my flowers. Like, he tried all day to try to dress up like one of them, and he ain't got nothing on them. My flowers are still more beautiful. <laughs> And what Jesus is, I, I think it's really cool because Jesus is giving a head nod here to fashion. Like he knows, he's, he's saying, I know that you have this inner human need to look pretty and beautiful, okay? I have an inner need to look pretty and beautiful, everybody. We all do. And uh, some of us more than others, let's be honest. And uh, we all have this inner need to look pretty and beautiful. And he's like, look, I understand you have that need. And I'm going to take care of you so that you can look pretty and beautiful. Um, you don't, I think there's, Jesus is saying, you know, you don't have to be worried about fashion because I'm going to take care of you. Like, you don't have to be worried that you're just going to have to wear white turtlenecks and khaki pants every day of your life. Like, I'll take care of you enough so that you can look pretty and beautiful. I take care of the flowers, don't I? And what he says is these flowers, the, the thing that he draws our attention to is these flowers, are, are, they rise up one day and then they're thrown into the oven. And we can get that living in Reno because when spring rains come, right, the hills are green. It's glorious. It lasts like a week. And then it's brown again. <laughs> and we, you know, like if you, if you like were out of town for that week, you missed it. You'll never see green the whole year. You have to wait a whole year just to see green again. And that's what he's referring to is these, these, these flowers, these grasses, they're beautiful, but then they're thrown into the oven. And he's drawing our attention to their, in a sense, how little significance they are. They're significant because God created them, but they compare nothing to how significant you are as his child. And here's the reality. If you believe in God, your life is for eternity, not just a week. Your life goes far beyond even when you die. And so what that means is, is Jesus is drawing a comparison. These flowers just rise up and die, but you as my children, you live with me forever. Don't you think I'm going to care for you? And so he's drawing our attention to these four things. Remember, life is more than food and clothing. Remember that God cares for you more than he does birds. Remember that God cares for you more than he does flowers. And remember that being anxious doesn't really help you. It actually kills you. And so... What we have Jesus doing for us is he's saying, when you feel burdened with anxiety and worry, what you need to do is zoom out. You need to get some perspective. You need to, you need to take a, a deep breath and pause and look at things because that will help you out. Um, I think a good example for this is, have you ever been hiking and got lost? And if you've never been hiking and got lost, just imagine. It's very scary. But now they make these really cool things called GPSs that you can carry in your pocket. So if you get lost, you start to freak out. You're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? I'm never going to make it back. I'll probably never see my family again. I'm going to have to, like, you know, eat something raw. Like, you're just worried. Some animal's going to kill me. I'm going to get sick. 
But now you can pull out your GPS and you can zoom out and you can get an idea of your position and you can be like, oh, okay, things I got. I know where I went wrong and I know what I need to do to get back on track. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. He's saying you need to zoom out sometimes. Sometimes when, when the stresses of life come out to you, you need to take a breath and you need to go for a little walk and you need to look at the birds. Because if he cares for the birds, he'll care for you. And you need to get some perspective. You need to look at the flowers. You need to, you need to take a break. You need to zoom out and get a big idea okay, of the big pictures. Now, I think there's two ways that I just want to pastor you to do this. These are my opinions. I just want to pastor you to do this. I think every Christian needs rituals of remembrance. Rituals of remembrance. And what I mean by that is you need regular time to get quiet, uninterrupted space, to think on God and his provision. You need regular times to get quiet, quiet, uninterrupted space to think on God's provision. And I would say that you need to do this preferably outside. Because as Jesus is showing us here, nature is God's university for theology. He's, he's showing us that we can learn a lot from nature. So what can this look like? It can look like five minutes, 10 minutes a day. It can look like going for a little walk. For me, what it looks like is every, at least four or five times a week, I try to go on a prayer walk before I go to bed, bed at night. It's actually in between my second nap and my long nap, my sleep, because whenever I put my daughter down, I always fall asleep. That's my first nap. And then I wake up about 20 minutes later, and that's when I need to go on my prayer walk. Um, and in this walk, what I'm doing is I'm looking at, I'm looking at the plants at the stars, thinking, man, if God's holding the universe together, he can certainly hold my little world together. He can hold the church together. He can hold me together. I'm looking at the, I listen to the birds. I, I, it, it's good to let nature teach us about God and his provision. It's good to let nature teach us about God and his provision. So it may, may be a different time for you, but maybe you're going into a stressful meeting. What you need to do is take a step outside Stand there for a couple minutes, look at the birds, listen to the sounds, see the animals, and just say, okay, God's got me. I'm in his grip. It's going to be okay. And so I, I think you need rituals of remembrance. The second thing I, need, I think you need is markers of remembrance. Uh, these in the Old Testament are called Ebenezers. And the word Ezer means help. And these are stone heaps that the people of Israel would build to remind each other of God's faithfulness in the past so that they can be assured that he will continue to be faithful in the future. So, you know, you guys know this because we sing that song. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. We raise the, these stone heaps of remembering God's help. That's what an Ebenezer is. So, do you have any Ebenezers to remind yourself of God's past faithfulness? For example, a tattoo, a piece of art in your house, a note that you wrote yourself or that somebody else wrote you. Um, maybe an Ebenezer for you is a story that you can tell over and over and over again. Your, people, your, your friends and family are like sick of hearing that story, but you're like, you got to hear it again because this reminds us of God's faithfulness. Because the reality is, is when you remember God's faithfulness in the past, you'll be more confident of his faithfulness in the future. So we all need these Ebenezer. And so I think those are two helpful ways to 
remember these things and to zoom out. Rituals of remembrance and markers of remembrance. Now, how do we overcome worry? How do we overcome worry? Jesus gives us three things. You need to act like believers, not unbelievers. That's the first thing. Because the first thing you need to do as you start to address and battle worry is you need to act like a believer, not an unbeliever. Look at verse 32. Or if you back up to 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So he says the way that you need to overcome worry is, first of all, you need to act like a believer, not an unbeliever. He says, don't be worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and you know, what you're going to wear. Charles Spurgeon calls that the, the trinity of worries. It says, don't be overcome by these trinity of worries. That's what the Gentiles do. The word Gentile meant simply unbeliever, people who didn't believe that God was a loving God as revealed in the scriptures. Gentiles were people who had other gods, maybe Greek or Roman gods. They, they, and, and the thing with those other gods is all of them were there, but they were distant, they were uninvolved, and they certainly didn't love you. They could be appeased if you did the right rituals, but they didn't care for your needs. And Paul is saying, quit acting like a Gentile. We have a Father who loves us. We have a Father who cares for us. And so the way that you need to overcome your worry is to live like a believer, not an unbeliever. You need to, you need to believe that God actually cares for you. Now, if looking at the birds isn't enough, at the end of Jesus' life, he gives us another place to look. And it's to the cross. And there we see, wow, God really does care for my needs. Because on the cross, Jesus did everything necessary to bring us to him and to make us one of his children. He appeased the wrath of God. He took our place so that we could be regarded as God's child. And so in the same way that the birds is a least to greater argument, you could look at the cross as a greater to least argument. If God was so willing to get off of his throne in heaven and die for you, if the Father was so willing to give his only son so that you could be adopted into his family, isn't he still going to care for you? If he was willing to go to hell on the cross, don't you think he's going to take care of your daily needs? It's a greater to least argument. And so maybe for you, you need to look beyond the birds to the cross to be reminded that God does care for you. So live like a believer, not an unbeliever. The second thing is uh, we need to put first things first. How do you overcome worry? Well, first you need to live like a believer. Then you need to put first things first. And Jesus says this in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first. Now, when it says first, it's not first like a checklist. I think a lot of people in religion and in Christianity treat this wrong. They say, you got to just worship God first in the morning, then you move on the rest of your day. That's treating God like a checklist. That's not what he's saying. When he says first, he means first of order and importance. Your chief concern, your primary focus. In other words, if you want to seek God and his righteousness first, God and his righteousness is always on your mind. And Jesus assumes that we're all seeking something. He's calling us back to himself. He says, you need to set your mind to seeking God because you are seeking 
something. As John Stott says it, he says, Jesus takes for granted that we're all seekers. Nobody drifts through life aimlessly like plankton. We need something to live for, something to give meaning to our existence, something to seek, something on which to set our hearts and our minds. We need significance. And Jesus is saying that a lot of your worry is coming because you're not finding significance in him. And some of you are overwhelmed with it. But the reality is it's because you're looking for significance in a relationship, a job, school, career, sex, a hobby, housing projects, uh, travel, sports, popularity, a substance that allows you to escape, food, excessive exercise, your body image, building a retirement, building an extensive financial portfolio, or simply living for success however you may define it. Whenever, those are all good, a lot of those things are good things. But none of them are to be the ultimate significant thing. That's God. And whenever you live for something else, whenever you're seeking for something else, you become like a fish out of water. A fish was made for water as you were made to seek after God. When you pull a fish out of water, what happens? It freaks out. Flops all over. It's like, yeah, that fish has got a lot of anxiety going on. It looks like he's having an anxiety attack. Yeah, because it wasn't made to live out of water. And when we seek first other things, worry overtakes us. And we become like a fish out of water, overwhelmed by the burdens and cares of the world because we weren't made for them. We were made for God and his kingdom. And you might be saying, well, I'm a Christian. I put God first. Well, you do it outwardly, but not inwardly with your heart. And that's why you still have so much worry. Just because you come to church doesn't mean you're doing this. This is a matter of the heart. As St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Or as God had said in Psalm 37, 4, here's what you need to do. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What's your job in that? Delight in the Lord. That's it. And then the rest will take care of itself. So that's how you need to do it. You need to seek first the kingdom. You need to put first things first. And the last thing that Jesus gives us to overcome our worry is this. You need to take it a day at a time. Just one day at a time. Verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, Jesus here is giving us, uh, he's telling us that anxiety and worry is going to be a daily battle. It's going to be a daily battle. And as you try to seek first the kingdom of God, for some of you, some of these, this is going to be impended by just your biology and physiology and, and your family of origin. And so I want to just take a moment here. It's a little side note, but I think it's important that a lot of Christians have said wrongly that if a person is overwhelmed with anxiety and they go to medication, they're in sin. I think that that's wrong because it's not taking the full account of the scriptures. And I think the full account of the scriptures shows us that the fall of humanity and sin affects not only our choices and our, and our nature, but it affects our biology and our physiology. And so there's a real thing out there called anxiety disorder, and it has many different forms, and 18% of the population struggles from it. And so if you're in that category, it's literally going to be impossible for you to take it a day at a time and to seek first the kingdom of God unless you also get some more medical help. 
because your biology and physiology is affected. So as your pastor, if, if you're there and you're like, I wonder if I need help, I wonder, I just want to encourage you, like, let's go talk to somebody. See a professional. Help us pray for you. You can also seek prayer. I've seen people in this church, as we've prayed for them as elders, literally have anxiety attacks and this disorder, disorder, and then the next day be delivered from it. I just talked to a girl the other day, Bethany Michaels. Years ago, we prayed for her, and she was healed on the spot. So it can happen. Okay, but, but here's, here's where seeking that stuff can become wrong. When you seek that stuff in place of seeking the kingdom. Now, if you need to get medical help, it should be in order to help you seek the kingdom so that you can take it day by day. And I love what Jesus says. Listen, you don't need to worry about tomorrow because today's got enough worries. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in the paraphrase of the Bible, the message. He says, uh, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. If you're always worried about what's going to happen, you're going to miss what God is doing right now. And you're really not trusting that he will come help you. Now, what I want you to notice about all these things that Jesus has given us to do is it's, he's not telling us to fix ourselves. He's calling us to turn back to God. And I think that says something really, really, really cool about God. And it's that God wants to help us in our anxieties. I've been learning something about myself because I grew up in a stressful household. Um, just where well, there's just a lot of stress, a lot of work. And uh, I really have a hard time with worriers. Like, I, I'm like, if somebody comes to me, and I'm not proud of this, somebody comes to me with anxiety and worry, I'm like, I shut them down, I walk away, you know, like, because it's just, it's too much for me and it freaks me out. Anybody else there? Like, and it's because my own worries and anxieties are enough. And I get freaked out by others because my shoulders aren't big enough to carry them. But here's the cool thing about God. God is not like me. Hallelujah. God says, come to me with all your worries and anxieties because my shoulders are big enough to carry them. And I love you. And I want to I want to help you and meet you in it. God did not just come a long time ago to help you. He's here to help you now. Jesus says to us in Matthew, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In 1 Peter 5, Peter says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. A better way that that could be translated is this. Give your cares to God because God cares for you. Do you believe that? God is not just up there sitting on his rocking chair waiting for you to get to heaven. God is right here with you now wanting to help you through your struggles. A lot of times we talk about the gospel, just about what God did for us, but we miss what God is still doing for us. What God did for us, he lived for us perfectly on our behalf. He died for us on the cross so that we can actually be forgiven. He raised from the dead to give us new life and adopt us into his family. But then after he resurrected and ascended into heaven, he gave us his Holy Spirit called the Spirit of Christ, who is also known as our helper and our comforter and our guide because he's with us. He's with us. In Hebrews 13, it's recorded that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You're in his good hands. And so next time when you go on a walk or when you're outside and you see the birds, and you see the heavens, you see the flowers, and you say, wow, God is holding all these things in his hands, remember that you're in his grip too.
There's a guy named John Walker at our church. He sends me emails, and at the end of all of his emails, he signs, in his grip. And it's just a good reminder that we're in the good, loving hands of God. And so to live in constant anxiety, where we're not giving ourselves to God, is to not really believe that we're in his grip. And some of you are here, and you're not Christians. And uh, really, I'm, I lovingly just tell you, like, you're going to continue to be miserable unless you surrender to God. Because you were made for him. And he loves you. And you might think in that you have to bear these anxieties on your own. And the answer is you don't. He wants to help you. He wants to give you peace beyond all understanding. And then others of us, you are Christians, but you live like an atheist. Stop. We're not atheists. We believe in God. Like we, we have a God who loves us. I'm not saying that if you, maybe you are somebody who's atheist in here and you're like wanting to learn. I'm not saying that as a, as a knock to you. I'm just saying you should understand that if Christians believe in God, they should live like it, right? Like, and that's what I'm saying. If we're Christians, let's live like it. If we love the Lord, let's, let's, and we believe that he loves us, let's actually live like it. So look at the birds. And remember, if he cares for them, he'll care for you. Amen? God help us. Help us to surrender our hearts to you. I think sometimes we get like, we think that if we hold on to our hearts on our own, we'll do better than if we give them to you. And I, it's not true, Lord. So I pray that you'd grant us faith to believe. I pray if there's anybody in here seeking, asking you um, what this is all about, maybe on the verge of just, giving their life to you. And I, I pray that you just give them the courage to try you out. And I pray that as they do that, that you would be faithful to them and give them peace beyond understanding. So we ask that you do this in your name. Amen.